The Four Horsemen is not just an idea. It's a theme. It's a state of being. It's a state of mind. You have got the cream of the crop. Rick Flair, Anderson, Blanchard, Barry Windham, J.J. Dillon. We are the Four Horsemen. In 1985, four individual champions joined forces as one to overtake an industry. They formed this huge conglomerate of stars that nobody could touch. These guys were like the violent athletic version of corporate greed. The Four Horsemen redefined the role of the antagonist faction during their two decades of prominence and were a group fans loved to hate but had to respect. Arn Anderson was the enforcer of the group by far the toughest member of the Four Horsemen. Arn never quite got credit for the amazing talent that he was in this industry. I don't want to say I told you so, I don't want to blow our own horn, but toot, toot. I thought J.J. Dillon was one of the great managers, and to me when J.J. Dillon said something, it really carried weight. How could I top that? Along with the infamous James J. Dillon, Tully Blanchard is on top of the whole heap one more time. Tully Blanchard was the first cool bad guy that I ever saw. We can get down and be dirty with the dirtiest of them all. But we can also be ha, as clean as they come. Uh, Barry Wynn is the most natural gifted athlete ever to walk into our business. I am the epitome of wrestling and the very best that there will ever be. Barry is so good that he can blend in with anybody. Ric Flair was the ultimate. He was the diamond in that crew. It is so hard to be humble when you're looking like Ric Flair. The Horsemen, as they always say, they're the best thing going today. We are the best at what we do. Where are the days and nights? We stand in our class by ourselves. We show the world how it the unit have dominated this sport. We owned it all for the world to see. We are the studs in professional wrestling. We were riding in limousines, flying around in private planes. We just, you know, we just wanted to have fun. say the horsemen are coming and all the women go crazy this is it right here the class of the world are horsemen fans they believe in the symbol of success I think we'll be considered the greatest wrestling faction of all time. Where are the days and nights? Can't beat the Four Horsemen, ever. We showed the world how it could be. This is the Pro Wrestling Reflection Podcast. With your host, the professional Chalbelo Veracruz. <laughs> what a run! Mr. Wonderful Tommy Wonder. And I will take the powers 
of those that have no fear! And the prodigal one, JB. The queen here. The queen of the crop. Now it's time to go back in time in the time machine. The American dream! That's the True! Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. But be the man. You gotta beat the man. Woo! Look at this. What is going on there, Big Vito Whites? It is your friendly neighborhood, studly, magnanimous, and glorious Professor Chabeva Cruz welcoming you all. Welcoming the Magnificent Seven, the Elite Eight, the 99, the Terrific Ten, the Essential Eleven, and all the Vito Whites on Twitch TV, on Big Vito, you know, Brand.com, and the Patreons, and all that good stuff here. Welcome to the PWR Podcast here at the PWSL Networks at Podbeam.com. But before anything, you know, the professor wants to take a, you know, wants to break kayfabe for a little bit right now and just say that this episode of the PWR Podcast is dedicated to my brother-in-arm, A-Track Brown, a couple of days ago. He lost a very significant member of his family, his pet bulldog, who was on this earth. For 14 glorious years, her name was Chaos, and you know, he's not feeling good, so send some love his way at A-Track Dastly on the Twitters. You know what, I'm just going to say this a little bit quickly to my man TW here. You know, just a quick shout out to Track. You know, I'm just going to say this, Track. I, you know, if you're going to listen to this, you know, you know, get better, you know, get your mentals right. You don't need to hear this right now. Do you? But I'm just going to say this when you get a chance to hear this. I believe in my heart of hearts, chaos was on this earth to look over you after that very painful moment in your life when your grandmother passed away, when she was murdered. Chaos was on this earth to make sure you was good. Chaos was on this earth to make you feel good. Chaos was watching you. That was your angel on earth to make sure that you, you know, you kept your mentals right. And once the great news of justice was served and they found your grandmother's killer, chaos job was done on this earth. And guess what? Your grandmother needed chaos to protect her in heaven. Grandma needed to walk chaos around the heavenly gates in that heavenly dark park in the sky. So I know you're hurting. I know, you know, you lost a great family member, but chaos is your angel just like your grandmother is your angel and tw if you know people with their pets it is a family you know that is a family member that is a bond that can't be broken it's like you know when you lose your mother you lose your father you know if you lose your dog you lose your cat you lose your parrot it doesn't matter a bond is a bond is a bond so tw quick quick minute and then we'll get, get the show started for track it's video now, so now you're trying to make the, the king of the nighttime world cry on camera. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't know that he lost chaos. And and I noticed he'd been kind of quiet on, on Facebook until I got a friend request today from one of his 19,000 aliases. Um, mm-hmm. 
and I actually almost messaged him, but I was in the uh, urgent care, so I was going to wait till I got home. But that's an awesome name, by the way, Chaos. Um, and, you know, I often tell people my dog, Jackson, is the only living being that sees me every day. There's no mm-hmm. one else. He's my constant. And he knows if I yell at him, he looks at me like, damn, I'm sorry. He don't even know what he did. He didn't even understand it. But he, he just has a look. Oh, he he, un- he understands right. it. He understands right. it. He knows you, your language. He knows your tone. He knows when you're happy. He knows right, when you're sad. Right. He knows oh, when he you're... Looks, he looks heartbroken. So then at the, at the flip side is that it makes me feel bad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, lately, because of this, this infection in my leg, he just wants to be near me all the time. And, and he's jumping on it. And he's landing on it. And I'm losing my shit. Because it hurts, right? Hmm. And then I just got to realize, you know, and one thing that I thought about the other day, they say your pets know when something ain't right with you. And he mm-hmm. kept coming over by my leg, you know, like the day that I actually went to the uh, clinic. And I'm like, man, what are you, one of them little rescue smart dogs? Like, you're nudging me? Hey, man, you want to go get that looked at real quick? But, uh, mm-hmm. but as far as 14 years, man, that's that's a blessing right there. And, and like you said, you know, I... That's tough. 14 years is a long time. Like, it's awesome that you get 14 years, but that's that leaves some big, big shoes to fill. And so, like you said, my sister just put down her cat that was 14 years old. Same mm-hmm. name as the dog. Got it. She's not, you know, it's like losing uh, a family member. For us. To some, a child. It's like losing a child because some people don't have children. They have pets, mm-hmm. and they consider themselves four-legged, you know, children or whatever. And but regardless, man, I've been a dog person my whole life, and there's there's dogs that died when I was nine years old that I'll still tear up about when I think about it. So mm-hmm. that's 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 unconditional love, and 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 I'm sure Atrek had it returned to him as much as he gave chaos. So yes. sorry to hear that. Sorry to hear that, Trek. And like I said, this show is dedicated to to little chaos. You know, I know he's in puppy heaven. She's in puppy heaven. With your grandma looking down on you, your angels on your shoulders. So anyway, let's get the show on the road for the big Vitoites TW. Let's get the show on the road for the Reflectionites here. As we welcome everybody to the Pro Wrestling Reflection Episode 11. We're going with the Pro Wrestling Spotlights, you know, because why do a, a weekly show? Why do one of those weekly shows? We'll get to it, TW. But anyway, let me introduce my man, the conservative liberal. He's got AOC on the speed dial. He's got Governor Whitmer on the speed dial. He actually has a Tinder date with Nancy Pelosi in the summertime when he goes and does his Wonder Mania trips you know to, I would to, cap, to San Francisco. on speed dial on a date with AOC in the springtime. Not Wait a minute. I, I'm introducing you. Shut up right now. Anyway, he's the conservative liberal, Mr. Wonderful, Tommy Strong, a.k.a. Tommy Wonder, don't, don't don't deny it. You know you got Nancy Pelosi on your speed dial. You're gonna do some w- weird, freaky stuff. That's why your leg is hurting. You you said I had AOC yeah, on the speed dial. I, you got I, I don't want Pelosi on my speed dial, my Facebook, my Twitter, my Instagram, my Snapchat. I don't want her anywhere near it. You unless you do some of that expensive ice cream. That's it. You get expensive ice cream and a joint bank account. What is wrong with having that? That's perks, man. You're not thinking free market capitalistic perks. I look pretty rough right now because I'm down and out in Beverly Hills on these antibiotics. But you put me in San Francisco, dudes are going to hit on me. And I don't, you know, it ain't that kind of party. I'll have five of them, but I'm not participating. 
I'll tell them about you and your DMs, and then, bam, everybody wins. You see, Vito Whites, the man who keeps bouncing off the sliding in the DMs is the man that's hiding. The one that hides the most, right. he bounces right. it off. You're right, you're right, because you know what? We don't know, because you don't see it from me. I might be hiding, but we do know that you're not hiding it, because we all saw that, that face swap app you did last week, where you put your face on a dude in a G-string shaking his gimmick, and you were all about it, and you didn't even deny the fact how it looked, and you, everyone tore you up for that, and you're like, ugh, ugh. Once again, once again, once again, Vito Ice and Reflectionites, see, this is like a, this is like a psychology experiment, because, you know, a face that. No, 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 no. A face app, and people interpret that that was the professor. You know, if I had a body like that, yeah, cool. I, I'd actually say, yeah, that's me. But that's not me. You know, I'm actually more better. I got, I got abs. That, is, that dude didn't have abs. That's what. That's the problem. Was I got bigger arms than that dude. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Let's get the show on the road, TW. This is episode 11 of the Pro Wrestling Spotlights. We've done them, and we're going to do it big for 2021 because we are going to talk about one of the greatest wrestling factions greatest wrestling groups of all time you know on the hierarchy on the rushmores of people this group is number one or number two but i think and everybody's you know mount rushmores they are number one in the professor's humble opinion and that is i put in the four fingers up Vito whites the four horsemen and we're not gonna talk about the paul Romo days of reflection nights we're not gonna talk about the sid vicious days we oh, are gonna... no 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 well we might we might banter we might banter we might like say we might rant a little bit but we're not gonna focus on sid vicious we're not gonna focus on mongo mcmichael we're gonna focus on the 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 run the dynasty run that started it all and the, and the greatest dynasty run ever in the history of professional wrestling from 1985 to 1988. We are going to focus on Nature Boy, woo, Ric Flair. We're going to focus on Arn Anderson. We're going to focus on Tully Blanchard. We're going to focus on The Rock, Ole Anderson. We're going to focus on Lex Luger, The Total Package. And, of course, we're going to focus on Barry Windham. And T.W., I say they're the number one, you know, in – if you rank them, they're always going to be number one. Maybe number two is the lowest. Who, who's, say you are, who's, who's taking their spot at number one? You're going to say NWO, and you're wrong. Well, I've seen uh, social media groups. NWO sometimes eclipses yeah. uh, the well, four horsemen. But I didn't watch wrestling in the 80s. The, horsemen, the NWO doesn't exist if the horsemen don't exist. The horsemen are number one. Teach them. Now, teach them. Teach them, TW. Teach them. The, the, the one thing that you could take away from them if you wanted to say they're not, it's kind of like Ric Flair did to his his singles legacy. They 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 hung on too long and diluted what it was. But if you just take is that when they formed eighty five? Yeah, late eighty five. So if you take that eighty five to even eighty nine, that window, there's not a better like because it was never bad, and they always had individual foes who would unite to fight them together because the. Tully and Arn would have problems with the Road Warriors. Dusty would have problems with, with Flair um, or Luger or Wyndham, you know. And, and then you ended up having these big blow-off matches with, with the Four Horsemen and their separate nemesises who they all helped beat in their respective matches. But you could take something away from them by, oh, like, 
I completely forgot Mr. Perfect was a four horseman. He would have been mm -hmm. a great four horseman in 85 to 89, but not in the 90s, right? Right. And then Mongo McMichael was a horseman. Dean Malenko was a horseman. Chris Benoit, Pen Benoit and Pillman with Arn and Flair wasn't bad, but it also wasn't the horseman because it wasn't four friends. You know what I mean? Like, at this mm -hmm. point, it's two old dudes and two young dudes that they're just riding the coattails. One of, one of the two are riding the other two's coattails. But, but, right. but the NWO, yeah, in the beginning, Hall, Nash, and Hogan, and X-Pac, it's, it's pretty damn good. But by the end, there's 17 versions of it. Everyone's in it except the damn uh, five people that are claiming the WCW and all that. So they mm -hmm. just ruined it. it. They ruined it, and it didn't take long to do it. They, they what, less than a year they had the red version? Something like that. Right. But let, so let, let, me, let me just say this. Wait, wait. And the other what? four horsemen. Let me just say this, T.W. In the T.W. hierarchy, let me give you these four names. The Four Horsemen. The N.W.O. D.X. Bullet Club. From lowest to highest, give me your picks. I'm going to go Horseman 1. Okay. I'm going to go D.X. 2, and I actually like the Hunter X-Pac in the, the Outlaws version better mm -hmm. than the Sean um, Hunter. You know. China. China version, and China was with those guys too. Um, mm -hmm. I actually like that version better for their longevity and everything else. I thought I thought of Sean, Triple H, and China as a tag team. I didn't think of them as a unit, you know, like a horseman mm -hmm. group type thing. But it, it's all part of their history. Um, right. I don't think anyone else ever joined. Rick Rude was their bodyguard type deal, whatever. But it was that. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know enough about the Bullet Club, so I, I'd have to make them four. But okay. but I respect them. Because it always seems like, A, they lose guys, but B, they replace them pretty quick. And mm -hmm. it's like every time I look, somebody was the leader of the Bullet Club. This guy was, that guy was, these guys were. So, mm -hmm. But I would assume they're at NWO level when, when, <laughs> when you count up all their members. Like, mm -hmm. it's just, there's just a dozen. So you got to give NWO three for that. Um, okay. But I would put someone else in above NWO. Because I think they're the most underrated faction of all. Only one of them still alive. But the Hart Foundation with Neidhart, Bulldog, Pillman, and Brett. The Florida mm -hmm. and Owen. Five. Those five right. guys, the fact that they were booed in the States and cheered in Canada and had a main event match where Austin got booed. Granted, mm -hmm. it was Canada. Right. The stuff they did was gold. They just weren't around that long to do it. And again, to me, the NWO's peak is one year. And by the mm -hmm. end of that year, it's it's garbage. It's absolutely diluted and just trash. And that's why they went out of business is because it was a one-trick pony. And their idea to save the thing was obviously Goldberg won. But two was, we'll just make three more NWOs. We'll have a Latin one. We'll have a red paint sting one, a white paint sting one. And then we'll have, wasn't there a fourth one? Like Misfits, that was like a all star. It was gold, NWO gold. It was a elite. The NWO elite. Yeah, it was a mixture of the red and yellow. It's just mm -hmm. they just they ruined it. So, to me, again, the same thing can be said for the Horsemen. So I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm gonna trim the fat off. Mm -hmm. And the Horsemen's run is greater than any other faction's run ever. DX to me is second, and then the Her Foundation is third.
All right. So, you know, that, like, I, I can respect that, but that's what I'm talking about, TW, because sometimes the, the debates are there. The DXs sometimes get lumped up there. The NWOs get lumped up there. And you put the Heart Foundation, and I I don't hear them. I hear them a little bit lower tiered. So it's a very uh, nice thing that you put the Heart Foundation in that conversation. But anyway, Reflectionites, let's look at the uh, Horseman members. And also, I forgot the manager, James Day Dillon, but we will talk about that. You know, it's funny that in 85, let's look at it from a business standpoint, TW. First and foremost, again, we have to always use the WWF factor. We have to use the Vince McMahon factor because I don't think that the combination of Ole, Arn, Flair, Tully, and J.J. Dillon get formed not by a promoter. And remember, the story is, T.W., they weren't, you know, booked by Jim Crockett. Jim Crockett didn't create this. They just all hung out together. They right. all trained together. They all just collectively got together because of those N.W.A. Saturday interviews, and it just made sense. But to me, follow me here, T.W., This I don't think this is a conspiracy theory, but if you look at those if you look at the business in 85, remember, like I said, Vince McMahon was trying to control the wrestling world, especially in the United States. He he took away a lot of NWA people. He took away Roddy Roddy Piper. He took away Greg the Hammer Valentine. He took away Bob Orton. He went after AWA people like Hulk Hogan and Jesse Bob Ventura. And to me, T.W. And Patera. With Patera. Yeah, that's a good call. But to me... Out of all that rating the talent that Vince McMahon did, look at the four guys that are left plus the manager, J.J. Dillon. So if it wasn't for the hoarding and the rating that Vince McMahon did and didn't pick these guys, there would never have been a four horseman. Maybe Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard would have been at WrestleMania 1. We don't know, but I'm just saying that the four horsemen kind of like stalled the, uh, the takeover of Vince McMahon. What say you about that? Because all that rating... But the four horsemen stalled, stalled that, too. Go ahead, T.W., I'm sorry. Four other people did, too. Um, okay. You weren't getting Dusty. Dusty was the booker, so he doesn't count. Because, mm -hmm. you know, obviously he ain't going nowhere because he's not going to be able to be a booker in New York. Uh, the Rock and Roll Express. Uh, those guys were ahead of their time, you know, watching one of the matches to prepare for this. They're wearing pink, black, and white in 86, right? Mm -hmm. So was right. Bret Hart, but not that pink. He wore hot pink. That's my pink. I saw, I saw red and black, too, in, in their combos. The Rock and Roll Express. No, the no, red, no. Uh, no. No, no, no. Usually they're wearing red, red, white, and black. But in okay. this match that I watched in 86, they're wearing rose pink. Like, it ain't even, it ain't oh, okay. even heart pink. It's well, rose go ahead, TW. I don't want to get, finish your thoughts. Finish your thoughts. But thought. I'm they were so over. Like, it, someone... You know, again, you would have thought Vince McMahon would have been the one to discover this because they're the ones that put rock and wrestling together. And then the difference, I think, with NWO versus or NWA versus WWF in 85 is 85, everyone in the audience looks like Arnold Scalin for WWF. And the mm -hmm. NWA audiences, there's almost as many women as there are men. And it's because not only of the Rock and Roll Express, but even because of the heels like the Four Horsemen, specifically Tully and Flair, who talk so much shit that we all know, no offense, ladies, we all know women are attracted to winners. And even though they were dicks, mm -hmm. they were successful dicks. And they had the Rolexes and the rings and the belts. And, and, and I think those girls screaming for Ricky and Robert 
were also screaming for Rick and and Tully because even one of the other matches we watched, um, when Tully did something, pe- people were cheering for him, right? Like mm-hmm. girls, and and then the finish happens or whatever, and you hear people cheering for for Magnum. But the, at the end of the day, those four, there's one weak link there. I mean, it's, I've said it a million times. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I you knew I had to bring him up, but go ahead. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of the revival. I don't even okay. know what they're called in AEW. They were the Revolt, I think, at first, but now they're just F T R. Feel, fear the Revolt. Fear the Revolt. I want to know which one of those guys thinks they're Tully and which one thinks they're Arn, because they're more Oli and Arn than Tully and Arn, mm-hmm. and they're both Oli. So I just I watch it and I just think neither one of these guys are Arn or Tully. They want to be. And you see the influence, and Arnold Tully was a huge influence on a lot of my matches when I was in Los Rudos, but I didn't go out there and try to be them. I just stole their moves, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I was my own thing using their spots, if you will. Um, and so when I watch it, I to me, Ole is the weak link here. Mm-hmm. I think dropping him and adding Luger makes the horseman better, right? And, and in modern terms, a group that I think – Part of me doesn't want them to go to the main roster. I want them to stay where they're at, but that would involve NXT elevating somehow to a bigger level. The Undisputed Era, they added a guy. They didn't swap out two guys. They just added one more. They were a threesome, now they're a foursome. They're the best thing in wrestling to me, currently. Like I love mm-hmm. watching them, and now they're good guys, so I get to see how they do it as good guys. And That's a true test, is if you can do it and get cheered, because it's easy to get booed. You just go out there, tell people to suck it, and, hey, I don't like someone telling me to suck it, so I'm going to boo you, right? Um, so but we, don't, but we, don't, but we don't know that with not, without fans. If we don't know it's not, right, if it's working right. just yet. For so sure. we'll, it's a wait and see. Well, chatter. is. We'll see. Yeah. We'll start ripping on them on Twitter. Um, right. But, but for me is uh, Oli... Arn, Tully, and Flair. I, what I had heard was they would they would be the same guys at the same time. There it wasn't they all had to go there and do the promos, but those mm-hmm. four would always be there. And for whatever spot Jim Crockett had for to save Flair's belt or whatever, those dudes were always there. So he'd send them out. So it was just they were the hands there when they needed hands. And mm-hmm. Arn in an interview for like the Omni, it wasn't even TV. It was there. He called them the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and that's when the light bulb went off on somebody's head and said, whoa, and then the rest is history, which I've also heard the same thing when Hulk Hogan said, you can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother. It wasn't planned on being called the NWO. He just said that, and they were like, that's it, and that's how it became the NWO. I don't know how true that is, but I heard that. It was just something he said, like Austin 316. He was just being clever because Jake the Snake was a Bible thumper character. So he said, John 316 this, Austin 316 says this, mm-hmm. and boom. Next you know, you're selling 25 grands in shirts a month. Right. I so, had a four you know, horseman wristband. I still mm-hmm. have it somewhere. And a four horseman shirt from when, like we said, in 88 when I got cable and I got to start watching NWA. Mm-hmm. As a kid who loved good guys – by 88, 89, I start to like bad guys, and I would I would give the credit to the Four Horsemen for making that happen. So this is a great example, which what you said with Arn Anderson's 
uh, actually the accident that he called it the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And then they, of course, condensed it down to the four horsemen because you can think the light bulb in Jim Crockett's head, the light bulb in Dusty's head saying, oh, four horsemen, you know, all the stuff, the, the trademarks, the, the marketing, the T-shirts and all that stuff. But again, you know. This was Jim Crockett, and this was the Southern wrestling. This wasn't Vince McMahon, because Vince McMahon probably would have, you know, went balls to the wall with shirts and all this stuff. So, you know, and Ric Flair has always said that. He, he would have marketed Four Horsemen better than what Jim Crockett and the NWA did. But let's focus on these individual cats, per se, because the funny thing is, T.W., you know, again, before the maturation of the Horsemen, you know, like you said, they all were together. These guys were committed to the, you know, they always say, and I've always heard Ric Flair talk about this, like, these, just, these guys just love to wrestle. They love to, you know, they love the business. They love to, you know, make, of course, make money. They love to fill seats. So they were so dedicated to the cause as heels, T.W. That's fascinating. So I guess they knew their place. What say you, T.W.? Because, you know, the commitment to make good guys that like you said the road warriors and the rock and rolls and the magnums to make them over as the good guys they had a job to do as heels what say you tw of the commitment that was the two that was the, the line in the sand in new york versus atlanta in new york they thought the winning formula was put the belt on the most popular guy and watch him overcome the odds to, to keep it and mm -hmm. atlanta it was the money was in chasing the gold and i think it hurts them in hindsight that they had meetings every August to decide how many times the title was going to change hands and who was going to get it. And it almost always was one or one. And then the guy gets it back. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that at some point, someone's got to catch on that. There's a formula. He's going to lose it once a year. And PS Starcade is the last show of the year. So he's probably losing it, you know, but people weren't smart back then. So, but, but I would say that when I first started wrestling, we were the same way. And I think if money would have made its way into it, I'd still mm -hmm. be that way today, right? But after a while, it starts to feel like work. And after a while, it hurts, you know? And I'll never forget when, when I was training to wrestle, nothing hurt me. And Irish Mickey Doyle was like, you sure you haven't done this before? And I was like, I did some backyard wrestling. And so I just chalked it up as landing on a frozen ground in March knocked the shit out of me. Landing mm -hmm. in this ring didn't, right? And then I had my first three matches up and way up in Ontario. The very first time I went back to the school to practice again, mm -hmm. from that day on, everything hurt because of adrenaline. You get adrenaline whether there's five people there or 50,000 people there. You, you know all eyes on you, to, quote, to paraphrase Tupac. All eyes are on you. For that 5, 10, 15 minutes you're out there, it's you that they're watching. Yeah, there's someone else because you got mm -hmm. any rest on the broom. But it, it, it's your time to shine, and you live for it. And I think all four of these guys, I would think their mentality were probably different. I think I think Flair and Tully were probably more ego about it, saying they're the best. Mm -hmm. Whereas Arn and, and Ole, I think, would have been more old school about it. Like, they probably were the more carnival aspect of it like protecting kayfabe and stuff like that i really don't think tully and flair would care as much about kayfabe as Oli and arn in my opinion okay probably because they are more about the money and i could i could see arn and Oli being more about the business not about the money if that makes any sense but mm -hmm. but either way both work out 
to be the best. These guys want to be the best in the business. These guys want to make the most money in the business. Therefore, they have to be the, the best in the business. And it's a formula feel, that works for like, all four of them. I'm sure it probably happened at some point, but I would have loved to seen Ric Flair versus Tully Blanchard at some point. You know, like how I think Flair, they fought. They fought. They did fight. Right. So I'm sure it's, I mean, post-horsemen, kind of like oh, gotcha. how Flair and, Flair and Perfect were together for however long, and then Flair or Perfect took Warrior spot because of the whole um, money contract bullshit. And mm-hmm. then Flair versus uh, Perfect on that Loser Lee Sound match on Raw. It's a great match. You know, it sucks because mm-hmm. you knew Flair was leaving. Right. But, but Tully turning face and chasing Flair the way Ricky Morton did. Not that he turned face, but you know what I mean. Like the chases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but of all the stuff I watched, when you think of the guys, I have no problem with Flair losing the belt to Dusty. I have no problem with Flair losing the belt to Kerry Von Erich, especially why. It was going to be David. Kerry's the greatest Von Erich ever, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. I don't give shit. I don't, I could watch. David is another Barry Windham, Kendall Windham, uh, Danny Spivey. They're just Gumpy, Sam Houston. I, 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 I feel like an anger towards Ronnie Garvin's coming. So oh, are you going to go over there? Okay. <laughs> and and so when you when he loses it to Ronnie Garvin, I popped. They did a, bit, a good enough job on TV mm-hmm. to to make me happy that that was eighty eight. That was September or eighty seven. I'm sorry, he won it at Joe, Cobo Hall here, and I was stoked. And then when he lost it, right back to him at Starcade, and then the very next year at Starcade, he turns on Dusty. He really was nothing. And then he goes to New York, and he's got that shin guard because his, his claim to fame was his feud with Valentine. He just was nothing. And, and again, he's one of them southern good hands, right? But then when you think of all the guys they didn't put the belt on, like he did – I think he dropped it to Tommy Rich, or was Tommy Rich beat Harley? Uh, Tommy Rich is Harley, yes. Okay. So, so Flair lost it. He lost it a million times. But, like, the main ones in that window that we're talking about, Dusty, Carey, um, Ronnie, and and then left. I think he never lost it after Ronnie, right? That's when Luger ended up getting it. Oh, he lost it to Sting. I'm sorry. No, I was Steamboat. Problem with Sting. Steamboat. Oh, and Steamboat. Steamboat. Mm-hmm. Garvin, the feud that led up to him winning it was him having his brother Jimmy Garvin's back. Are you mm-hmm. telling me Jimmy Garvin's not better than Ronnie Garvin? Jimmy Garvin was an entertainer, and he could go. Like He wasn't, wasn't like he sucked. He was hilarious. Some of the best stuff I've ever seen on wrestling. I can still watch it today and not cringe because it felt real was when Jimmy Garvin had to be the, the farmhand for the Von Erics because he lost the match and he's got mm-hmm. precious and he's digging trenches and all that. And he's mm-hmm. mad as hell about it. But he's like, deal's a deal. I, you know, and he just does it. But he was just awesome. And I don't know if he got hurt and that's how we switched to Ronnie or if we were always going with Ronnie. But just Ronnie... First of all, looked like he was 47 years old on top of it when he won the belt. And I think he's <laughs> knee-deep in his 70s now. But I, there's one guy I think they missed the boat on putting that belt on. Especially, you're taking it right back anyway like you do every time, except for with Sting. Did he win it back from Sting? Yes. Sting lost to Vader, I thought. No, Sting lost to Flair in 91, before Flair left for WWF. Okay. Oh yeah, and then he no showed, and Luger went up and win them. Right. Um, so, so 
The one guy, I can't believe you're not going to chime in and tell me who it is. I know why they didn't, but they should have. Because one of the most iconic moments in wrestling, and I still have not seen it, but to hear Mm -hmm. people talk about it gives me chills, is when the arena goes dark, I believe it's the Omni, the lights come on, the smoke, and Here I Go Again by White Snake comes on, the slow version. And it's Ricky Morton making his return after they beat the shit out of him and put him out of wrestling for a while. Remember Ricky chasing Ric Flair? Mm -hmm. They should have put that belt on Ricky. Well, like you said, the you know the experiment is you know the Southern Wrestling ter- territories is about the chase. So Ricky Morton chasing Ric Flair is more money to them in Jim Crockett's eyes than Ricky Morton having the belt. It's the same because think about what you just said. Ronnie Garvin got the belt, so there's no money in the chase. Nobody, there's no money in people chasing Ronnie. There's money there's no in money people in chasing Flair. Let's just be, let's be honest. There's no money. No, 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 no. I mean, I'm going to be fair here. I'm going to be fair to Ronnie here. There's no money in in the in the in the heels chasing Ronnie because Ronnie's not that dude. There's money in in faces chasing Flair. You got because think, there's Luger, there's Sting, there's Road Warriors, there's Magnum and Nikita. I already named five right there. So who on the other side for Ronnie was there except the Horsemen? So let let's go All into the, now. I'll totally yeah. look at the understanding. No, 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 Adam, no, Adam no. Cole's taking the back seat, and O'Reilly's the one chasing for the, the heavyweight title. So you, you mm-hmm. could have done that with Tully. Tully never got his moment. That's the hindsight thing you're saying oh, right now. We the, they, they, learn, they learn from their mistakes. But let, let's now go into the maturation of the horsemen because we have to at least acknowledge the storyline of the birth of the full horsemen. And we're talking about Ole, Arn, Flair, and Tully. And uh, JJ here. So it's in it's in the late stages of 1985 TW. The biggest storyline is, of, of course, because, again, like I talked about with Vince McMahon and the talent raid and all that stuff, we're not going to talk about it again. But the story is Ric Flair is related to the Anderson brothers or the Andersons. They're, he's the cousin of the Andersons. So it's funny, TW, because, you know, Ric Flair was already a three-time ch- – three of – a three-time champion, you know, he beat Harley Race, he won it against Kerry Von Eric, you know, and all that stuff here. And remember, the flair for the gold when he regained it against Harley Race, you know, he didn't have backup like the Andersons until 1985 and until the raid happened. So this was a good thing. And then, of course, wasn't the Omni in the cage where the Andersons and Ric Flair, kayfabe, broke the leg of Dusty Rose, and history was made, T.W., because the fans wanted to kill Flair and the Andersons. I mean, we don't get that feeling anymore. I mean, it wasn't this was funny. It was Charlotte. It was great. Okay, I, it was but it's, it's Flair country. But anyway, yeah. that ambiance with that moment in time for wrestling history is still remembered to this day because of the atmosphere. It's not about what – because people, you know, baby faces get, you know, injured all the time, TW, but talk about that moment in time where, you know, Dusty was crying in Magnum's arms. The leg was broken, and they could not get the, – the horsemen, the three horsemen could not get out, T.W. Talk about that scene, that moment in time. It's it's iconic, like I said. And, and, and 
Ricky Morton, where they beat his face on the ground. And I think they did it to Steamboat, too, before he went to the WWF. Steamboat had some run-ins. Uh, I don't know if it was Horseman, but someone beat his ass on the ground and, and rubbed his face. And I think it was Flair. But but they they did dirty. And that made, it's like I told you before, when you're a heel and you're on a spot show that it's the only time you've ever wrestled in Albuquerque, New Mexico, the first guy out is going to be a heel every single time so that mm-hmm. when he comes out, he can tell the crowd to suck it. That way, no matter who comes out next, you're cheering for him because you want to see the guy who just told you to suck it to get his mouth knocked off, right? And mm-hmm. so when you have guys breaking Dusty's leg, when you have guys beating Ricky Morton and smashing his face, and remember, he's a pretty boy, so that's why they did his face. They were making him not a pretty boy anymore. Mm-hmm. It worked. That's- that's but, uh, the ultimate statement on a pretty boy. Right. And and it makes people want to see you get revenge. Uh, a, another version of that, moving the pad and DDT and Ricky Steamboat on the concrete floor at Madison Square Garden when Jake the Snake did it. They couldn't wait for Steamboat to get back and get his hands on Jake the Snake. That's some shit where you remember where you were when you saw it, right? Like, mm-hmm. did this mother just DDT him on the concrete? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. he's like, wow. Um, Macho Man, also Steamboat, the bell to the larynx. You're just like, mm-hmm. it's just legal? Like, <laughs> oh, they sign a waiver. Whatever happens in the ring is legal. You, they can't, you can't arrest them, you know? But uh, it's just, it's, they're just, they were good at what they did. And, and the best thing is, in, in all these matches that, you know, we, we watched a few matches to prepare to talk about them, um, there was a lot of realism in it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to skip too far ahead, but the, I've already mentioned the Rock and Roll Express the match, I believe it was 80, 86 Starcade, they they have this match for the tag team titles, and those belts are kind of nice. Like, I didn't like them back then because they're kind of gaudy, and mm-hmm. it did a weird thing. They almost remind me of that new Intercontinental, t- or the new uh, U.S. title. The, what's, which one's Bobby Lashley got? The U.S. Championship. It looks like the, the new U.S. title looks like the old NWA World Tag Team belts. It's the same shape, and I just go, there's a lot going on. I go, um, I'll go with that a little bit. Yeah, so I seen it, and I was like, you know, those aren't that bad. But the, the thing is, I always consider the, the two greatest underdogs of all time are Ricky Morton and Daniel Bryan, and obviously Ricky Steamboat. But, but then and now, I'm saying Ricky Morton Daniel Bryan. Maybe not so much Bryan anymore, but he was at one point. Like, this whole shit where the whole arena did that. It's because mm-hmm. he got beat up so much. People wanted to see him fight. The little engine that could, right? Mm-hmm. So so this the formula for this tag match, and it's funny because I never saw it before, but the whole match, they get just their asses kicked. Arn mm-hmm. and Ole just beat the shit out of Robert Gibson. He tags in Ricky, and then they beat the shit out of him to where he, you can't even see his face. He's so bloody. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, let me get this straight. And they did awesome cutoffs, and they call it the the Anderson block. Wait, wait, wait a second. Hold the thought for the Reflectionites. Get on the WWE Network and type Starcade '86 for the Minnesota Wrecking Crew versus the Rock and Roll Express for the NWA Tag Team Championships inside a steel cage. That was a great match. Thanksgiving night, 1986. Go ahead, TW. I mean, we will, let's talk about this match. This is one of those iconic matches in the yeah. Four Horsemen dynasty. Because like you said, the, the Wrecking Crew, you know, they're methodical. in the. I mean, yeah. they work on the arm. They work on a leg. They work on kicking your ass down. And, and They worked on Robert's leg when they had him taking heat. I didn't understand. He, he, 
<laughs> he makes the hot tag, and Ricky, they worked on his arm. And that's the other thing. The selling that Ricky does at that arm, even mm-hmm. when Ole lets go of it, he, he holds it in, like, this decrepit form like he can't use it. And I'm like, it's, it's genius, right? And, and the funny thing happened because he did, okay, I, this is my knock on women's wrestling, right? Charlotte does it. Becky does it. It, it. Wait a minute. Are you being possessed by Jim Cornette right now? Oh, my, my no, goodness. No, no. I'm going to tell you the one thing oh. that I hold against the women because I mm-hmm. think it makes them look weak, right? Okay. When a girl has another girl in a submission hold, they cry. They, they sit there and go, eh, I'm the, no, I'm not going to quit, right? And you just okay. look at them and you're like, you can just say, ouch, you don't have to cry, right? So now Ricky Morton is in that damn arm thing. He's crying. And I'm like, I owe the women an apology. Yeah. He's crying too. You just told mm-hmm. me Dusty's crying in Magnum's arms. In the yes. I Quit match, Magnum's crying at one point because he's getting stabbed in the eye with a damn piece of a chair. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, but 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 they don't cry every time they're in a submission hold. They're like, eh, eh, mm-hmm. you know, just selling it. But every time Charlotte Flair is in a submission hold, dead, save me, dead. <laughs> Sign Tessa, get her out here to save me like Tully would have saved you. I, I apologize, SNX Express. I apologize, Sarah Jane, the ghost baby. I'm just saying, I'm not, the opinions of TW do not reflect on the oh-so-magnanimous one, the professor. Go ahead, TW. Let's focus wait, on this. You know, wait, wait, wait. wait. No, no. Feel tears when they get up. But, but, but again, let, let's let's use this match. You know, the Wrecking Crew against the Rock and Roll Express. I think, to me, when we talk about this match in a cage and what the I think this was a tour. I don't want to call it a legacy. It's a legacy match for the Rock and Roll Express because you took them seriously. They're pretty boys, but this is the Minnesota record for they're ground and pound, they're methodical. But a win against the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, a win against the Horsemen like this for the Rock and Roll Express legitimized them as one of those greatest tag teams in the conversation. Do you agree with that assessment? And they picked the cage. They, they made a mm-hmm. point of telling you the Rock and Roll Express asked for this cage. So mm-hmm. that's just two horsemen, not four. Like, right. let us fight these guys two on two and we'll be better at it. Which was weird because they came in champions. It would make more sense for that to be the way they left champions, right? Like, we okay. finally beat them because the other two couldn't help them beat us. Um, right. But but I don't know if you want to go to the finish yet because that's the, that's the best part of the whole match. And, and it's a great match. Like, the yeah, go go with the finish. Let's finish this. Let's finish off this topic with this right, with this iconic right match. I'm thinking, right as I'm thinking to myself, let me get this straight. They've already bitch slapped Ricky Morton's partner so bad that he's been outside in the corner selling it for the last 20 minutes while Ricky's got his ass kicked. These guys got momentum, and I'm supposed to believe when Ricky tags Robert back in, Robert's going to come in, all of a sudden he can kick the shit out of these guys when he already got his ass kicked when he was fresh. And that's mm-hmm. not how it happened. He came in to make the save or stop Arn. It was a small package Ricky had on Ole. Arn came in. Ricky came in and, and hit Arn for doing that. And then just it, it was a thing of beauty. Ole just picks up Ricky for the body slam, turns, Robert Gibson drop kicks Ricky and makes him fall over on top of Ole, and they get the three count. And then, and this is key back then, I learned the hard way one time what what I should have done. When you beat a veteran, you get the hell out of the ring, right? 
And if you watch it, but they were, in a, they were in the cage. Mud holes in them. They were in a cage. Right. You couldn't run. They scurried to that game. Robert, the bitch that he is, who didn't even get in the match for 20 minutes, <laughs> jumped out of there and then dragged Ricky, who rolled down the steps. And I was like, but as they walked away, you could see their backs are red. You could see they just got their asses beat, and they walk, and that referee handed them the belts, and Ricky, who's dead selling like a sumbitch, not dead selling, that's not good, but he's still selling, right? Like, we had no business winning selling. And he held that belt up, and the pop he got from that crowd, like, people say Road Warrior pop, and that's, come on, there's a reason. Mm-hmm. I think the Rock and Express pops were at least close. And when they held them up, I looked at them, and I was like, you know what? That's it. It doesn't matter what happened in between the bells. You just know that they ended up winning somehow. They found a way. And mm-hmm. I think that's Daniel Bryan. He found a way. You can beat the shit out of him for 25 minutes. He that, was, that was Gargano, too. That was Gargano. Yeah, in Gargano his, uh... too. He's got 30 seconds of offense, and that's all it took to win, whether mm-hmm. it's flashing the pan. That rough dude that beat Gargano, same thing. Gets his ass beaten and gets his, uh, uh, a quick pin on him. Um, I just, I just, I absolutely love that finish because I, if, if anyone's being honest, a cage match in the NWA is – is like a lingerie match on Raw in the nineties. It just it was very frequent. It's dragged, it's dragged out. It's long. It's it's long winded. Let me and before we get to another match, because I wanna I wanna pre- preface this to a different topic. But we know that the Rock and Roll Express had their rivalry, their greatest rivalry with the Midnight Express. So, but it was so even keeled between the Rock and Roll and the Midnight. It didn't it didn't matter with the winning. But to me, a win against the Minnesota Wrecking Crew and a win against the Horsemen, is that more of a building than the Midnight Express, in your humble opinion? What say you? Absolutely, because they're the grizzled veterans. They're, they're mm-hmm. the guys who've done it for longer and, and mm-hmm. a lot more. And right. um, the Midnight Express were a heel version of the Rock and Roll Express, if we're being honest. You know, they were the, mm-hmm. these two are pretty boy rockers. These two are disco, you know rough-looking dudes, you know. I don't know about Bobby Eaton, but the Midnight Express to me is much, it's just like Arn and Tully is better than Arn and Ole. Stan and Bobby, to me, is better than Dennis and Bobby, and I know there's people that disagree with that. Dennis is cut from the same cloth as Ole. He's an old-school guy, and there's, you know, there's a place No, no, I, I understand that, but it's even keel with his rock and roll and midnight, well, except and rock and roll and midnight. Bobby rock and roll express matches, to me, were better. Okay. Um, they, 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 and like I said, you know, I want to say it happened once. I know at least the Rock and Roll versus the British Bulldogs happened once. But to see the Rockers versus the Rock and Roll Express would have been great. And if it has mm-hmm. happened, I don't, I've don't. i never been able to see it. Um, it should have happened. Because I think the Rock and Roll Express were great. But I think the Rockers were obviously a knockoff. But I think they were better. Uh, for one, mm-hmm. they had better builds. For two, they had more charisma. Ricky had charisma. Robert, he looked like the fifth Beatle. Um, and then mm-hmm. even Marty had a little bit. But but the Rock and Roll Express beating Arn and Ole, and then Arn, so Arn and Tully, I think, is even more impressive because Ole's 100. You know what I mean? <laughs> Tully's like Flair Jr. So beating Arn right. and Tully is like beating Arn and Flair. Well, we'll get into the differences in, in a second, but I just want to keep – let's just keep it focused on this. It's a bigger win for the Midnight, uh, for the Rock and Roll Express. It's a statement win 
Yeah. It's a statement win. It, it legitimizes them as tag team champions. It legitimizes them as main eventers. Now, let's go back a little bit because we talk about the, the connection, the, the family connection between Flair, Ole, and R, because that was the original protectors of Ric Flair as the heavyweight champion. In comes the, the dynamite. In comes the heater, Tully Blanchard, the first outsider to this kind of click here with... J.J. Dillon, because it was originally Tully Blanchard Enterprises. And, of course, at this time in the, uh, let's say, the maturation of the Four Horsemen, Tully Blanchard was a television champion. Tully Blanchard was a national heavyweight champion. He was doing his own thing as a singles competitor at TW. But then once he, you know, got into the fold of the Four Horsemen, he was all business. He was all money. And, of course, not only was he represented by J.J. Dillon, he was represented by that Jezebel baby doll. So what say you, and then we'll talk about his match in a second with Magnum TA, the I quit match, Star K85. But let's not talk about the match just yet. What say you about the, the contributions of Tully Blanchard, as I call him, the heater of the full horseman? Tully, before I got cable, was that. Because Arn and Oli were the tag team. Mm-hmm. Um, then when Luger replaced Ole, Tully and Arn became the tag team, which to me was the greatest day ever. Right. Uh, and it was almost, it's almost good for Tully because he gets to then be a world champion. And at one point in this match, when they talk about the beating Ricky's taken, they say most guys would have given up by now, but Ricky's a world champion. They didn't say world tag team champion. They just said in, in basically in the field of wrestling he's in, he's the best. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, cause Tully, if this was WWE, WWF, and it was the Heenan family instead of J.J. Dillon, Flair would be the world champion. Tully would be the IC champion guy. He'd be the guy having all the great matches with the Bulldog and with Savage and with Steamboat and Tito and all the workhorses, right? And Flair okay. would be wrestling the fucking Warrior and Hogan and Sid and whoever, you know. Or be, or be chasing Steamboat or Savage as the champions himself. So, you know, when they were good. But because he's there, he basically takes the back seat to Flair. And I think, for me personally, from early on, I always liked Tully more than I liked Flair. And I don't mm-hmm. know if it's brunette versus blonde, because I could relate, because I had looked more like Tully than I looked like Flair. Um, okay. But, as a kid, I had hair, but, mm-hmm. but I just, Tully always had that damn TV title. That's that t- You guys say that's Arn's belt. It makes me want to beat the shit out of people because so, it's Tully's. And, and in the, the, one of the other matches we watched is the, the famous I Quit match. I noticed something in that. Tully's the U.S. champion there. Mm-hmm. And that belt is identical to the 10 pounds of gold, but instead of a globe in the middle, it's a U.S. flag, and it's silver instead of gold. And I thought... Mm-hmm. You couldn't make that belt seem more like a redheaded stepchild. We're going to make the exact okay. same belt, but we're going to make it out of cheaper materials, and we're going to put a little-ass U.S. flag on it instead of the world, and you're going to mm-hmm. be U.S. And it's like, what? And then they made this bad boy that I got right there, and all, all, all bets were off. But Tully, to me, I would say if Tully wasn't a horseman, Tommy Wonder's not a Horseman fan. That's that's what I think Tully did for me. Like, even though no one in the planet would ever say Ric Flair didn't have charisma, but he had charisma to make you want to kick his ass, not hang out with him. Tully made me want to hang out with him. Does that make sense? Well, you're the you're the opposite. Everybody wants to hang out with Flair and kick Tully's ass. You want to hang out with Tully and kick Flair's ass. You're actually a you're a minority on that. Here's why. 
Tully bragged about his him. Mm-hmm. Blair bragged about women and drinking and partying and all that, which is why people would want to hang out with him. I don't mm-hmm. need Flair to do that. I do that at 47. Right? So <laughs> I'm saying I I would want the rub of Tully would make me a winner hanging out with him, right? And mm-hmm. we do all that partying because Flair don't do it alone. Whereas right. Flair, I'd be drinking with him and he'd start bragging about some bitch and I'd backhand him and then we'd be fighting at that party. I wouldn't want to mm-hmm. fight Tully. I want to hang out and have Tully's back. That's my point. Yeah. Okay, so now let's talk about the second iconic match. You know, some people, again, will not say that that this match is a full horseman match, but like I said, they were connected in some way, shape, or form. It just wasn't as official as it was in 86, but he was a part of it. So let's talk about the match in a cage again for the United States Heavyweight Championship. An iconic moment in time, Star K85, Tully Blanchard versus Magnum TA. And, of course, you know, for Dusty, for Jim Crockett, for, you know, NWA purposes, Magnum TA, we know Magnum PI was a top ten show out there, so it made sense for the name. And, number two, this was their, you know, this was their Kerry Von Eric. This was their teeny bopper man with the with the hairy chest and all this stuff. I, I, don't don't get, don't get it twisted, TW, because now you're gonna say I want to sl- I want him to slide in my DMs. But anyway, neither here nor there. But we know that Magnum TA they had plans for Magnum TA f- to be like Hulk Hogan to be the number one man in the NWA. What say you, TW, about this match? What they wanted out of it? We know about the accident. We know about you know plans change and the card subject to change. Are you? Lo- are you being haunted right now? I'm looking for there he is. I'm looking for my Magnum TA figure. I was going to show you him. He, oh. Mag, I, I grew up watching Magnum PI, and mm-hmm. I grew up reading magazines about Magnum TA. Never once, ever, that I confuse the two. Never once that I relate the two, which couldn't be more obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, that what they were doing. Well, because, when you're a kid, when you're a kid, you don't correlate the, the two but when you're right. an adult right 2020 wonder you know it but here right. earlier on i mentioned about um i forget who i was talking about but i said they're just tall lanky skinny guys magnum had that look that a sam houston and all those guys had kendall window except for magnum looked like he actually went to the gym he was absolutely he was built like luger but wore the cowboy boots because Bruiser Brody wore them cowboy boots or fur boots, and he looked like he didn't go to the gym. He just like he was born big, right? Magnum looked like he knew his body, his look was his moneymaker, and and tended to it, right? Mm-hmm. And he had charisma. And he to me, he said teeny bopper. To me, he's more like the guy that reminds me of Magnum TA in movies is Sam Elliott. Mm-hmm. He's that guy. He's like the cowboy badass, right? Not the guy that drinks Jack straight with no ice and then will go fucking rope a bull and then kick some dude's ass at the bar five minutes later. Just just a man's man. And historically, people that wore those boots, I was not a fan of. I just thought it looked tacky shit. But that dude did it. He pulled it off because not only did he have a good upper body like he worked out, he had legs to go with it. Whereas... Mm-hmm. We'll be talking about Barry Wyndham later, who I'm a huge fan of. But he made some questionable fashion choices. And you might love him, but Magnum CA just, and I think he wore a 
just the, the the steakhouse jacket everybody got in Tokyo, right? He, he, he once wore a fur coat with Dusty Rhodes on a very uh, famous interview. So, you know, he had his fashion faux pas. Was hmm? the NBA game? I have no idea, but it was a fashion faux pas that will never live. Dusty, he can never live Dusty down. Dusty or Flair, it was the Celtics-Lakers NBA Finals in 87. No, no, no. Both Dusty and Magnum came out in fur coats themselves on tv together so i'll just let's just focus on this match because this rivalry you know it, it had to end in the cage right. and it had to end in an i quit match and of course for the 80s wrestling fan the i quit match was the most brutal match because again it affects your manhood because tully blanchard you know you know i remember in on tv he said he can never live down that fateful night thanksgiving 1985 but the match itself, when we look at it, you know, with 2020 wonder eyes, TW, does it live up to the hype in your humble opinion, yay or nay? Absolutely not. And it was actually hard to watch. It was awkward to watch. Um, it was bloody. We can't you deny that. You ain't, you ain't getting it past me, the razor blade. I watched every single slice and dice. I watched mm -hmm. Tully slide, just very shilly slide the razor blade to baby doll who can't reach it because of the cage. And she's mm -hmm. spending, she's, she's trying not to be obvious that she's reaching in the cage to grab it. And, and obviously in 2021, you're thinking AIDS, hepatitis. Thanks, Abdullah. Uh, you're thinking about all that stuff. They weren't thinking about that in 85. And you just think how lucky a lot of these guys are that they didn't get some kind of shit. A STD from one of these sons of bitches, get herpes from one of them, just from bleeding in the ring with them. Um, yeah, right. It's just so, it's so barbaric, and it's like two minutes in, they're they're bleeding all over each other, and it's just like they're dying. And the, and Tony Schiavone even says, "Man, this match is early on, and look at these guys." I like how they did the ending though, because the ending made way more sense for like who could blame Tully for quitting, other than Magnum didn't quit for the same thing. But again, what goes wrong comes around. It makes sense logically. Um, but the crowd is sitting on their hands the entire match because people are probably questioning, what the fuck am I doing here watching this? Because it's that brutal. And, mm -hmm. you know, a, a lot of the guys that I wrestled with are on my Facebook. Uh, a lot of fans are on my Facebook who maybe I know them in real life, but they also are wrestling fans. And then I have people that are just wrestling fans that have friend requested me because they either knew who I was as a wrestler or this show or whatever. And all I ever hear is people say, oh, they need blood. War games ain't war games without blood. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what the fuck? There's nothing about blood that makes me need to see more of it, right? Like, I don't mm -hmm. think a match is a hit or a miss because someone bled or didn't bleed, right? So, so. Well, the, to the totality of a match, if you incorporate blood at the right spot, right. could make the match even better. Right, but back then, every damn match, someone bled, or, you know, every show, not every match. Right. And so, these guys bleeding like that, yeah, okay, it lends itself to realism, whatever. But Oh, you're I'm, saying it's overkill in the 80s, I understand absolutely overkill. And so, when a guy bleeds now, and I, I want to I say there was someone famous, maybe Triple H or somebody, maybe Michaels, got color when they're specifically told not to. I think it was against Triple H in his return, and he bled. And they mm -hmm. gave him a pass because they're like, fucking add it to the match. We're going to give you a pass, but don't do it again, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, because it's once in a blue moon. I personally, and I watched an interview with Lex Luger while doing all this stuff for the show. You know, they asked him, hey, 
he had such an honest answer too. He said, "Hey, you know, there was a lot of cage matches in Crockett back then." He's like, "And you were in a few yourself." He goes, "Were you a fan of those matches?" And he's like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Being in them." He says, "I'm a fan of whatever drew." He goes, mm-hmm. and those cages put people in the seats. He goes, so yeah. He goes, but as far as the type of match, he goes, I did. It made no difference to me one way or the other whether it was a cage or a, um, a regular match or whatever. He says, and and he goes, as far as color goes, he goes, I got color. He goes, I did it. He goes, Flair taught me how. He goes, I did it. No one had to force me to do it. He goes, but he's like, you see some of these guys now, and he mentioned someone specifically, or the interviewer did. And said, and it, it wasn't Abdullah. Has to be Abdullah. It wasn't Abdullah, Dusty, or Flair, but it was someone where I was like, oh, I didn't even think of that guy. Mm-hmm. And he said, the 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 long term effects of it. He goes, I I wouldn't want to been one of those guys. And he goes, and I don't mean that in a bad way. He goes, I'm just glad it didn't happen to me. Mm-hmm. And I want to say he might have said Terry Funk because I think Terry Funk's missing. Like he's got a chunk on his head that's a different color than the rest right. of his damn head because yeah, like it, he's missing that layer of skin and mm-hmm. so that's that's the thing to me and and so for me with these okay the blood made sense uh and nothing you know if you're gonna bleed i'd prefer it that way because nothing's worse than the blood capsules when mm-hmm. these dudes put blood splat they just pop a blood caps on their head or it was taped in there and then when it pops now it's running out because if they wrestle 30 minutes it goes away it's dried right. up right I'm supposed mm-hmm. to believe you healed in that while he's punching you in the face. And then Mick Foley, I think his head's all tore up too, but he found a way mm-hmm. to bleed easier. If you punch yourself on the side of the eye by the orbital bone, it's very thin, the skin there. So when you hit it, the bone actually cuts your shit from the inside out, and then you bleed like hardcore. And mm-hmm. Foley learned that on accident. So that's how he gigged. Instead of the razor blade, he just punched himself in the face after taking the bump and do it until it bled, you know, like, you know, subliminally, like not stand there and punch himself in the face. Um, but I just, I'm proud to say every time I ever bled in a wrestling ring, it's because someone cut me. It, it, it was an accident. It was a chair busted my ass open or I'll hit yeah. a, the turnbuckle metal, you know, something like that caused me to bleed, not me taking a razor blade to my, I had no ambition to do it i had no qualms about putting me in a different match if you need blood from that man fine i'll wrestle someone else i don't care i don't need your belt i don't i'm making 20 dollars in a hot dog and i ain't i'm not getting hepatitis from you oh wait what did the blood in the tully and magnum match do to you it turned you off or today was the first time i ever saw that match okay ever ever saw it and it didn't turn me off because i expected it okay what i didn't expect was it wasn't a wrestling match. It was. Well, I quit. It, it was these guys just rolling around with each other, and that's a that's a theme that I noticed in a couple matches where, um, there's a lot of laying around, like thigh to thigh, <laughs> like dude's head on another dude's thigh, and I'm like, eh, I'm like, I never noticed this stuff before. I that's think it's a that's the rest thing. hold. That's the rest hold. You well, know, rest hold is you're behind the dude and you got him in a chin lock. You're not <laughs> napping with his thigh as a pillow, dude. It's like, it's like scissor. I, it's a scissoring. It's a scissoring, man. This, this match particularly, they're laying side by side and their arms are tangled together and it looks like they're spooning. And then Tully's leg is literally <laughs> in between Magnum's legs, but his thigh is on Magnum's growing, and you're just mm-hmm. like. 
do they not know that they're laying like that? Like, but it's like they're so preoccupied with slapping each other in the face, laying on the ground, that they don't realize. And I'm like, that'd be the first thing I'd realize is this shit's touching my ding. And so I was like, I'd, I'd be mm-hmm. scared, you know. Um, the other match was Barry and Dusty. Dusty's in the claw hold, and he's literally resting his cheek on Barry's sack. And I just kept looking, going, is he ribbing him? Like, what's, what's oh, going on? And does it for, like, five minutes and goes back to it again later. And I'm, and then mm-hmm. Barry does, like, a hump almost. And all I thought is, every, you've seen it a million times, the Hulk Hogan Ultimate Warrior Test of Strength meme, where it looks mm-hmm. like Warrior's kneeling in front of Hogan and giving him a hummer. All yeah. I thought was, these dudes, it looks it looks worse because his face really is touching his crotch, right? It's not an angle. It's no matter which way you look, there's no daylight. That's and that's. So, we learned 69. We learned 69 from there. Right. I, I want to see spots. I want to see lariats. I want to see, like, at one point, I'm like, I don't know if he can do the slingshot suplex because of the cage, right? So I'm like, that's limiting Tully's arsenal. And then come to find out, he didn't need it because they didn't use their arsenal. It just, it just was, this would have been better off if they just removed the ropes and they just had a match in a cage. It would have made more sense. But with all due risk, but, but to be fair here, look yeah. at Magnet. I mean, Magnum TA beats the United States, you know, gets the United States Championship from Tully Blanchard. So, again, a member of the Horsemen. And Magnum TA is on the, is on the precipice of being the man. And he's, like, three years in the business. And they entrust him to be in this type of match with Tully Blanchard. So, Tully so Blanchard. Three years in? Three years in. Wow. Oh, you see? That makes they the story entrust- even more because Magnum yeah. was a natural, man. He was a natural. They entrust Tully to get Magnum over, and he did his job. So that's the that's that's the job that the horsemen do. And you forgot what Tully has also said for all these years. What's I said, that? yeah. I didn't say I quit. Well, I never said the words, I quit. Well, you know, that's debatable on, on Crockett television. But anyway, <laughs> you know, before we talk about the youth movement, here with Luger and Barry Windham. And of course, I'll ask you, TW, who was your favorite combination during this dynasty period? I like Barry, but maybe you like Luger more. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. You'll explain why. But again, from 85 to 86, you look at Flair is the, you know, every Saturday night on TBS, Flair is the heavyweight champion. Tully is the national champion, the U.S. champion, and the world cha- the world television champion. The Andersons are the are the national tag team champions or chasing the Rock and Roll Express to become the new tag team champions. So their jobs every Saturday night, whether they're together or their segments, tag team or singles wise, they got the gold. They got the belts, you know. And again, you know, we heard these we hear these K Fave stories and you could talk about this, you know, the jealousy because these guys have the belts. They got the most important belts on TV. They're the ones hogging the, the glory, hogging the pay scales, TW. So, you know, does that help the business with all this petty jealousy? Because I know I remember the Midnight Express were jealous of Tully and Arn being the tag team champions. And there had to have been jealousy with Ric Flair always being in the main event scene as the heavyweight champion. What say you, TW, before we talk about the youth movement? Of the four horsemen you know it's funny because nwa did that 
they didn't do this on WWF. NWA would have heels talk shit about other heels. Like, uh-huh. Jim Cornette and the Midnight's would say, Anderson Brothers, rush them up, because we're coming for you next. Which, again, they really weren't, but they were they were making the match with the Rock and Roll Expressing that much more important, because whoever wins, it's getting the World Tag Team title shot. You know, whatever the case may be. But they had no problem, whereas even to this day, Pretty much every promotion, the baby faces put over the baby faces, the heels put over the heels. No mm-hmm. one calls anyone out of line. You know, in the 90s, everyone was a tweener, you know. You'd have Austin versus Rock. You'd have Rock versus Triple H, Triple H versus Austin. And at any given moment, any one of the three is a face, any one of the three is a heel. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you wrestled a million times, but they were always different, you know. And uh, the that was a good era because it, theoretically wrestling should be like UFC. It should be whoever's in the, t- like what's the point of your little top 10 if Rick Rude's number one, but he's never going to get to fight Rick Flair for the world title. Oh, well, cause he's us champion. He can't be number one. He's got, he got to wait till he's not us champion. Then don't call that motherfucker. The number one contender. The, number yeah. one the guy who's not the intercontinental champion. Chasing that, did, that never made sense to me, but you know, that's just, that's my nitpicking on that on yeah. NWA logic. But go ahead, GW. But don't don't put heels in the in the top ten if you're never gonna elevate them to have a heel versus heel match. And I, I really liked, I've talked about this on here before. When Flair was champion, they he wrestled on TV. Hogan never wrestled on TV. Flair wrestled on TV, but he always wrestled Hawk or Animal, Ricky or Robert or or Tim Horner or Brad Armstrong. It was always a tag team guy and it would be a non title. And the reason it was a non title is because they had to give the, the illusion that one of these guys might win. And I think Ricky might have beat him in a non-title. I'm not really sure. That might have been the reason. I think, I, I think he, not a non-title. It was a tag team spot. It was a tag oh, team match. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he, he, so I, I like that. Like, Flair was a fighting champion, at least fighting in the sense that he fought. He might not have been defending it, but he did mm-hmm. defend it, you know, on the big shows or whatnot. But... But the NWA just, it always felt, WWF felt real too. I thought Macho Man really punched Tito Santana with a roll of coins and stole that belt, damn it. I thought that was what happened. And I'm like, everyone saw it, why can't? Because the rep didn't see it, you know? And no one had the forethought to say instant replay until the stupid NFL did it. And then all of a sudden everyone's like, well, wrestling's not an instant replay. And then they're like, no instant replay in wrestling. They had to take the stand, and yet they've done it. You know, oh no, we're gonna do it this one time. But I just the 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 NWA had it right to me, and I'm glad I found it later because I found it having already had watched WWF. Because I'd hate to be one of those people who grew up with it and refused to like WWF. I love the fact that I liked all of it. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like I don't, you know. And again, when I talk shit about AEW, it's criticism. It's not hate. I don't want them to fail. I want them to do good. But if they have no problem throwing stones, then they should have no problem having stones thrown their way. So mm-hmm. I criticize WWF shit too, maybe not as often because I don't watch it. I don't watch any. I watch NXT. That's it. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, you know, I'm glad that I found the NWA in '87. I mean, I think I told you before, going to family Christmas parties and stuff. Tully. That's my main memory is Tully being on TBS at my family Christmas party at my uncle's bar, and I just thought that guy's a star. I got two tiny figures right here. Mm-hmm. Of course. So, you know, again, the, the 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 formula is there with all these interviews, the Saturday night's interviews. So now let's let's talk about the youth movement because again, we we know that Ole Anderson is getting older and 
the synergy on TV wasn't there because it, it because the other three kind of accused Oli of not taking the uh, the Horseman uh, mantra seriously. So in comes the young upstart from Florida, Lex Luger. And you know what, TW? It, it kind of was after Oli kind of did his thing and kind of like semi-retired, you know, to be with his family. Of course, he's in his 40s. So, again, the body just doesn't, you know, doesn't do what it used to do. So we understand. We understand it now, but back then, you know, they did it. They did a great storyline of, of influxing Lex Luger. The dynamic changed because then Luger could could focus on the U.S. title. Flair again is the heavyweight champion, and now you now you take Tully out of the singles realm and put Tully and Tully and Arn together, and of course, arguably one of the best tag teams. In your in the debates, so I know you like this kind of dichotomy of the full horsemen more than the Oli part. Am I right or wrong on that? One hundred percent. And I'm gonna say something weird. Tully and Arn are my second favorite tag team of all time, but they're the mm-hmm. greatest tag team of all time. Okay. Right? They don't have to be my favorite to be the greatest. You know, the favorite just because of what they represented for me. You know, just that was me as a kid. Like these guys were small, so are Arn and Tully, but but Arn and Tully are just machines. Like they just, they worked, man. They worked, and I'm I'm not stupid. I know all those spots I stole from the Rockers Brainbuster matches were probably spots that Tully and Arn brought to the table, mm-hmm. right? So um, they're just they're the best ever. I mean, there's there's not a better tag team for me in the world than those two. And and the Rockers are my favorite. Arn and Tully are my second favorite. And and like it's damn their coat. It's Brett Sean for me, as far as you know how high I feel about Arn and Tully. But they weren't mm-hmm. there to be your favorite tag team, right? That's why you have rest of the year and most popular rest of the year. Because if you don't have the most popular category and the fans just got to wrestle for who they think the best wrestler is, they're gonna vote for the guy they like the most, not the guy who's the best. And that's why I always joke around. There's been a shakeup in my top three bands. Um, bon Jovi has fallen to number three, um, but I always say. Uh, Bon Jovi's my favorite band, but Paul Stanley is the greatest frontman of all time, right? Like, Paul Stanley in concert is second to none. And and John's great in concert, but having seen both of them many, many times, Paul is better than John, and it's close, and it's different. And it's great that you say it like that, because, again, this, this is a great argument for wrestling fans, because, again, they, people say that this was a better incarnation. And some people are always a stickler for the original. Right. I'm a, you know, the original, you can never replace the original. Well, it showed you you could replace the original. But, again, Luger, again, was maybe two years in the business. Did he deserve that spot, T.W.? I think T-W? he's a year, under two years in the business. Uh, and whatever, but did he, he deserve he that? Did he, he deserve it? That's the he question. The so it's way deeper why Flair got Luger to be a horseman. For one, okay. they did the whole spiel. He's this blue chip guy coming up from Florida, right? Mm-hmm. So, A, they wanted to get their hands on him because they wanted him to be one of them. They wanted to mold him. So he was hanging out when Ole was still there. He didn't officially become a member until they turned on Ole and kicked him out, right? Mm-hmm. But the reason they wanted Luger to be a horseman is because they didn't want him to be a challenger to Ric Flair. So they did it to hold him back. But... Aesthetically, Flair, Luger, Arn, and Tully 
But tech, but technically, TW, in television purposes, Luger said, I want to be a horseman. That was his goal. Right. It wasn't so about the advantage of it. Um, yeah. yeah. He said it first. He said he wants to win. He wants to be successful, whatever. Mm-hmm. But but aesthetically, those four guys, that move made Arn and Tully the tag team. So mm-hmm. Luger was my idol until I took my first bump. And right. Flair's Flair. Flair's probably my least favorite horseman. Well, I don't I ain't count Nolly. I'm talking about my favorite four, right? Mm-hmm. And and Wyndham and Barry or Barry and, and Luger is just it's it's trading spaces, or trading places, right? I get I get you. He's not as impressive physically as Luger is as far as aesthetics, like seeing this monster in the four like you you could put Nikita Koloff in there and it doesn't work. Because Nikita no. doesn't look like he wants to wine, dine, jet style, and fine. You know, Luger does. Luger looks like the guy who was the number one draft pick in the NFL and blows all his money. Barry, in Barry, did not, Barry didn't look like the yuppie to me either. It was Luger. Luger was the perfect yuppie right. type of wrestler, not right. Barry to me. But then Barry came in there almost like he's now the enforcer because he did that whole Widowmaker gimmick before they actually called him that in WWF. But mm-hmm. he, he came in like he was the badass because – he is taller than everybody there. And Barry, as lanky as he was, Barry looked like he worked out. It just mm-hmm. he looked like every other tall guy. It's harder to add muscle to a taller body. Whereas gotcha. Kendo, Sam Houston, um and there was who the fuck was the first guy I talked about earlier? They just they just they never looked like they even gave a shit to try going to the gym. Like they just like, nah. I'm just going to, this gay porn swimmer build, I'm going to use this just, one. Just call him Mr. X, T.W. Just call him Mr. X. Forget yeah. about it. <laughs> but, but, but Barry, Barry works, and but no, my but, second but, Wait, 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 wait. But, but forget it. I don't want to talk. Uh, let's not, let's, let's focus on Luger right now because then we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the next iconic moment of the Horseman because now with Luger being the apprentice slash U.S. champion, now the formula is there for dominance. And now how do you visually in the ring do that? You, you have six-man t- tag matches with the Horseman. You have tag team matches with the Horseman. But now Dusty creates... A gem and one of your favorite matches of all time, the War Games, and it debuted July of 1987. The full it was made for the Four Horsemen. It was it was the blow off for Four Horsemen feuds, and of course it was the Four Horsemen against the superpowers Dusty, Nikita, Road Warriors, and Paul Ellering. T.W. This why this is why it works with Luger. Then it worked. Visually for me with Oli, it wouldn't have worked with Oli for some reason. I don't know. I I would not have believed of war games with Oli. I don't know. Call me crazy or call me cynical, but it just worked better with Luger being the enforcer, if you will, being the muscle, if you will, for a war games match. What say you about the war? Games? Was the reason you thought they could win? Oli would not be. There's no one. No matter how much you say you like the original better than this version, there's mm-hmm. no one's going to tell you that Luger is not an upgrade from Oli, kayfabe mm-hmm. stuff. Not right. Like, yeah, somebody might tell you Oli's a better worker than Lex, and fucking Lex would tell you that. But mm-hmm. that doesn't matter in 1987, 86. People want to see aesthetics mean a lot. You know, what I mean, Hulk Hogan mm-hmm. wouldn't have been what he was. He wouldn't have got away with the skullet if he didn't have. 302 pounds of muscle to back it up that's bronze tan. Those times when I saw Hogan 
in a tag match on TV and thought he was Butch Reed. That's how tan that dude was. I see the blonde hair, and I'm like, holy shit, that's Hogan on TV? But anyways, um, Luger was the guy who could handle Hawk or Animal. And also, Luger could handle Dusty or Nikita. I mean, because, I mean, that's a pretty impressive team, Nikita mm-hmm. and the Road Wars. <laughs> Dusty's the weak link there, right? Um, well, technically, it was the, it was Nikita being the weak link in the war games because of his broken, right, fractured right. neck. I mean, just so it was a good storyline there. On paper, you you, mm-hmm. right, you got to weaken somebody up because that team should be unbeatable. But you also right. did the other thing. You threw Ellering and you threw J.J. Dillon in there. So each each team has a fall guy. Each mm-hmm. team has a guy that can say, I quit, you know, or, right. or whatever the case may be. Um, so, so. I, here's something. I, I did a lot of research on this damn match because I've seen it. I just I had no idea. Um, just for people backtrack a little bit, the reason Dusty came up with it, I didn't know this until today, but I guess everyone knows this. Um, he went and saw Beyond Thunderdome with Tina Turner in it, and he was mm-hmm. trying to think, like, Dusty had all these feuds, the Road Warriors had these feuds, and Nikita all these feuds with the Horsemen. They wanted a big blow-off match, and he said it was always in the cage. And then he saw that cage in Thunderdome and thought, so he called the guy, he said the guy's name in the interview I watched, and he's like, has there ever been a cage over the top of two rings with a roof? Mm -hmm. And so that's how it was, man. He got home at three in the morning and went to that guy's office because he didn't want to sleep on it. And he had drawn in the car the diagram and said, this is what I want. And the guy took a couple weeks and made it. But here's the thing I found interesting. Those were never on TV. They were house shows. Yeah. It was the Great American Bash Tour of 87, and the first match, J.J. Dillon got murdered by the Road Warriors, so a couple weeks later, the next one, Big Bubba Rogers was called the War Machine, and he was in it, um, mm-hmm. and they ended up 15 times they did that match that summer on the tour. I and lost count. What do well, you think the Horseman's record is in war games? Owen, Owen, fifteen. Oh, that's what I thought. He keeps pulling it in half. Well, you know, reflection. It was Owen fifteen. In my, in the professor's humble opinion on this, you know, we can never really keep a record of this because it it never works here. You know, reflection and Big Vito Ice because, but the War Games in itself, the War Games was synonymous with the horsemen. It didn't even matter the record, TW, in my opinion. But, of course, they never really won a War Games match. It was one. meant for the it, one match. See, it was right. one in 15 or whatever. It didn't one matter. It, it didn't matter the record per se. It just mattered that you needed to see all four of the horsemen there. Right. And, that, and that's what, what made and, it so special. And much like the rock and roll versus uh, Ole and Arn, you want to see them lose like they can't run now you're trapped in this cage and the, and the brutality part of it is it mm-hmm. can't end until all 10 guys are in there so one guy can just be getting the piss beat out of them for an hour before it mm-hmm. even is go home time and that's why it was called the match beyond is because it was war games and then the match started so right and they, period two minute period stuff like that i didn't like the the first war games for nxt was three teams of three which is mm-hmm. arguably considered the worst War Games match in the history of War Games was Hogan, Brett, and S- Stevie Ray versus DDP and two guys versus. Oh, yeah, that was '98. Yeah, yeah, with the Warrior. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that Warrior was a, that was a, that was, 
Yeah, that was a clusterfuck. We know this. We know this, it, TW. It's considered the worst one of all time. Um, or the Dungeon of Doom versus Sting. No, I like that one. That was good. That was good. The Dungeon of Doom against the Hulkamaniac was a good... I don't care what anybody says, and I'm not shilling. That was a good War Games in comparison to the three-team ones. So. But you know what, what, TW? Because even though they lost, it didn't matter because, again, the dominance on Saturday nights, the dominance of the Four Horsemen showed because they had the belts. Tag Team Championships, U.S. Championships, World Championships. So, so as the babyfaces got, you know, some semblance of revenge on them, it didn't matter. Like you said, you know, Ricky Morton got that win against Ric Flair in a tag team match, but he never beat Ric Flair for the belt. You know, Jimmy Garvin might have gotten one over on Ric Flair during Saturday nights, but he got his ass whipped against Ric Flair in a cage match. Uh, the Road Warriors could have, like, you know, took Tully and Arn out the building, but they didn't win at Starcade against them. They just found a way, even if they lost by disqualification, you knew that, the you know, your, your, your baby faces got the win. It was a hollow victory. You still felt pissed, and you still wanted to pay money, TW, to, you know, see them get their ass kicked. But again, it was a hollow victory. But now, let's get into the debate because now I say this, you know, again, with the, the tragic accident of Magnum TA, you, you could see that Crockett wanted to replace their teeny bopper, their heartthrob Magnum TA with somebody. And of course, Luger, we all saw it. When you're a kid, you don't see it. But we all saw it now that Luger was going to be the man that tries to be Hulk Hogan, so he would chase Ric Flair. Now enter the polished young... Now, you want to say Blue Chipper with him? I'll call him Blue Chipper. The man, untapped potential, Blue Chip. And in 88, one of the greatest heel turns in history, Barry Windham betrays, betrays uh, Lex Luger and gives the tag team championships back to Arne and Tully. It didn't matter to me. But when you saw the synergy of four polished workers, four polished wrestlers, Barry Windham, kin to Black Jack Mulligan, Barry Windham, kin to Kendall Windham, the blueprint is there. And this, this is why I like this synergy of the four horsemen better than Luger. You might like Luger, but I like Windham because he's polished. He's a worker. He, he knew about it. The only thing that didn't work for me was I didn't believe him being the yuppie because he's a Texan. Of course not. He didn't believe in the big suits and the and the and the Italian shoes and eating like caviar and Italian dinners. He would eat like a beef jerky and he'd be happy with it. I didn't believe him being that rich yuppie. That's the only thing. That's the only thing. The image of the yuppie wrestler of Barry Windham didn't mesh with me, but the image of the the cohesion of the workers work for the professor. What say you, T.W.? It's funny, because when you said that earlier, I did, my memories of him are always him dressed like that Widowmaker. But then I remember he did, in the, especially in the beginning, when he first did mm -hmm. the heel turn, he did wear the suits, and he did talk about all that stuff. But here's the thing. He's a young, impressionable kid who, like 27, 28 years old, who, yeah, that might not be something you believe in because you didn't experience it, but once you get a taste of it, good up. Now you're in. You know, now you want 
the ladies. You want the cars, the planes, the finer hotels, the, the caviar and the lobster and the steak and all that. And Texans like steak. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. They like it. The steers and queers part, the steers yeah. is steak. So, gotcha. so but, but rewind it. When Luger first came up, he was a baby face. And he was with um, Barry. He Barry mm-hmm. brought him up like he was his friend from Florida, and Luger kept saying he wanted to join the Horsemen, and Wyndham kept telling him, "No, you don't. Those guys are bad news. They're bad news." And I don't know if Luger turned on Barry the way Barry turned on Luger. I think he did. I think he turned on him in a match and joined the Horsemen. Not not physically. He okay. just said, "I'm going to join the Horsemen," and Wyndham was hurt. He was right. emotionally hurt. Right. Wyndham did the physical turning of. Right. Uh, Joining right. the horsemen. And so some people justified it by saying, well, Luger did it to him first. And, I mean, we all knew there was a spot in the four horsemen. Someone was filling it. And mm-hmm. I, I remember watching that heel turn and just being devastated. Because as much as I like Tully and R now, I didn't like him that much in 1988. And, and, and Luger getting turned on by Barry, I'm like, no! Like, what are you doing? And then I think Luger got pinned, and they won the belts back, and, and then he joined the horsemen. And then... Um, Luger was the baby face and funny thing, another interview, same interview, but Luger, you know, they, they asked him, you know, how he felt about Arn and Tully going, cause it's not long after that Arn and Tully go to WWF. And he said, he goes, he was sad because he thought of those guys as traditionalists. Mm-hmm. He goes, and what I mean by that is, you know, you had guys like Arn, Tully, Flair, these guys were dusty. They're traditionalists who, they believe in the Southern wrestling, you know, whatever, and that wasn't Southern wrestling. He goes, but I'm not one to sit here and judge them. He goes, I don't know what their reasons were. They had families. They had kids to feed. I don't know what went in the decision, and I'm not going to sit here and in hindsight say whether or not they did good there or didn't do good there. I, I would say they did good there. I think the, the Brain Busters, first of all, it's awesome that they got that awesome name, for one. I still refer to well, them as the Busters. I mean, we don't we don't want to like you know we don't want to go we don't want to jump ahead just yet. Yeah. But I get you. But it was it was all about respect for Tully right. and Arn and not getting the, not feeling respected right. on the Crockett side. Go ahead, T.W. But but Luger the the one thing he said he regretted about Crockett was he said they were a little too lenient with turning him face and good guy or face and heel. He goes, someone gets yeah. hurt. All right, let's turn Lex good. He'll do it. He'll do a good job with it. And then they turn him heel again. And then he goes, he goes, in a way it's a compliment. And then the guy goes, yeah. And it's still be over. He goes, exactly. Like that could have buried him because I think he ended up being, a, I would say his legacy is that he's a heel. W- would you? Who Luger? Luger. Because, uh- Every babyface run ended with him turning on someone as a heel. It's like it's like the old Big Show joke. One minute he's a heel, one right. minute he's a face. So I can't take him seriously, but right. I only take him That's seriously as a heel. Whenever Luger was a face. People were waiting for him to turn heel. They just knew that's what he did, and he really didn't do that in the WWF. He turned good guy. I, I think I said this before. This is why that Ted DiBiase thing backfired because he was a bad guy. He turned good slamming Yokozuna, and he was a good guy from that point on there. Vince mm-hmm. wanted him to be the next Hogan. That was Vince was like, this is the guy. He's going to be the Hogan, and that's why he did that. WBF was just because he couldn't wrestle because of his motorcycle accident. That's why he's like, oh, he's going to go there, and he's going to do this. And so when they did that angle where DiBiase was telling everybody Lex was going to be a member, everyone believed it. 
Because they're mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, that's what he does. He's going to turn on Tatanka. So I'll never forget it. When Tatanka pushed him off the top rope, the crowd cheered because they thought Tatanka realized that Luger was the bad guy. And then when Tatanka joined DiBiase, people just sat there like, what the fuck? Like, they thought Tatanka was beating up Luger and DiBiase. And it, it just did. completely backfired and it killed Luger. Absolutely killed him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when he joined the team with Davy Boy. was right after that. Give or take, yeah. Yeah, so that that Luger, and I don't think, was he a horseman a year? Yeah, Luger, probably like, no, nine months, nine months, the tops you know, for Luger. The very next Starcade, he lost the U.S. belt to, to Dusty. The one Starcade, no. oh no. Let, let, let's be fair here with the, the timeline of Luger. January of 87 to November of 87, he was full-fledged horseman. After that, he was out. On the outs. That's right. Barry, Barry was, or Barry was, was bash, not Starcade. Right. Barry was April of '88 on to every, you know, to the present. You could say he didn't, he didn't leave the Horseman in that time, in that timeline. So, right. So let's focus. Luger. So let's. No, no, no. Let, let's focus on one. Let's focus on the match, and then we'll go back to the Luger Barry Wyndham comparison because I want to at least focus on this because Barry Wyndham again. Nothing, you know, the wheels don't fall off the train of the full horseman reflectionites. Because, again, Barry takes the mantle where he actually, he was underappreciated, in my opinion, T.W. I mean, everybody, you know, bookers and promoters, you know, they they always talked uh, great things about Barry Wyndham. Maybe he was respectful with the business, but he just never got the push. He needed the horseman, and he got it with the with the United States Championship, and of course a a double main event facing his father figure, Dusty Rhodes, Great American Bash '88 United States Title match on the line, and you know for for all the for all intents and purposes, reflectionites, I'm not a fan of this match of the work rate because of course Dusty's on you know he's getting older, he could do so much. It was a more storyline-driven match with the, with the interference of Ronnie Garvin and, of course, the double turn. And, of course, you know, they're, they're protecting Dusty's legacy. It kind of hurt me that Barry didn't get that clean claw win against Dusty, in my humble opinion. I understood. I understand the schmas of in, incorporating Ronnie Garvin with the, you know, he took the money and all that stuff. But, again, Barry... Barry needed that that push into the superstardom, and the horseman was the perfect fit. What say ETW? Barry looked strong the whole match. Dusty caught him when he slammed. That was, by the way, one sick ass bump. He mm-hmm. instead of a superplex, he press slammed him while they were in superplex position. And just so you know, the side of the ring fucking hurts. It's not like landing in the mm-hmm. middle where the, the trampoline is, right? So, right. and even that hurts, especially come the top rope. But the reason he has to win the way he has to is because it gives credence to him joining the horseman. He got what he wanted. Help. Mm-hmm. And and they go to the back, and J.J. Dillon and Gary Hart paid off Ronnie Garvin. I don't know what the hell Gary Hart's doing there other than Garvin must have been managed by him from that point on. But I don't know what Gary Hart's, you know, relationship to the horseman was. Um, but... You know, a year earlier, Ronnie loses his belt to Flair. And a year later, I think the whole thing was dusty, dusty, dusty. Like, jealousy was why he did it, and he made some money doing it. But uh, but Barry looked good there. Um, the only thing is, 
This dude's wearing a full-on traveling Wilburys leather jacket with the fringe. Under mm -hmm. that, the leather vest that he wore as the Widowmaker. And then he's wearing these leather assless chaps with the tiniest underwear black briefs. And I'm thinking, he's standing there like he's a tough guy. And I'm like, this looks like some S&M gay porn. I don't, like, chaps are worn with jeans. They're not worn with your underwear. Like, that's this isn't risky business. So... For him to do that as a kid, I thought he looked badass. Like, oh, shit, he's wearing chaps. But as an adult, I'm like, I, I would, they would have to give me a little more money. May, may, maybe he's auditioning for the village people during the what? 80s. I don't know. You need a Widowmaker? Which, by yeah. the way, the name Widowmaker was money. Like, when they when they brought him in as the Widowmaker, Widow, Widowmaker Barry Windham, and then obviously, like all things, they shortened it to just the Widowmaker. I think he left there because he had a heart condition or something made him quit wrestling there. But um, then he went back to whatever but uh he barry windham he again he just looked young you know he the, his build he looked like a young guy that maybe you know worked out but just couldn't get as big as again hogan's fucking six nine but but just mm -hmm. stare he, he didn't do the roids right and i don't know right. that magnum did him but maybe magnum did and that's the difference between him and and barry and well that's a legend. We can't say, you know, right, anything. Right. No, like, no, no. I'm just saying, I would say you would look at Barry and think, no, he didn't do mm -hmm. it. Magnum right. isn't a monster like Sid or Hogan or Luger, so he just looks like, you know, a lot of these dudes get these bills from bailing hay. Like, they literally just have a hard-ass job that just bulks them up. Matt Hughes, that mm -hmm. most of his life, he was a farmer on a, as a kid, and he just has that, and a wrestler. So there's a wrestler build. Like, you knew the wrestlers in high school. Because you could, they had lats for days from wrestling practice. But, but Barry Windham, uh, just to get back, just to where we're at, Arn or Ole getting replaced by Lex is an upgrade. Barry replacing Lex, a so we get a new baby face in Lex, and B Barry's a heel. Nice story, everything's good, well done. It's a lateral move. It isn't. It isn't. I I still like Lex more than I like Barry. But mm -hmm. it's a lateral move. It doesn't make the Horseman weaker, in my opinion. That's that's yet to come. But but. And then it has to be 88 because 88 is when the Survivor Series was where Arn and Tully were in the Survivor Series. All right. Well, 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 and it's funny that you mentioned that oh, because it was April 88. April 88 is when it happened. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. No, no. It, it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, we we close it out again. We talked about our matches, Reflectionites, so we'll close it. it. It's funny that the dynasty ends because of Crockett. The dynasty ends because of Dusty. The dynasty ends because, like you said, Tully and Arn felt disrespected because we learned that the pay scale in the Horseman was not even flowed. Flair got the gate. Barry got money. JJ got money. But There's Tully and Arn... Tully and Arn got at least, and I'm going to be nice here, reflection nice, because I don't know this. Maybe the big Vito Whites can confirm this with me. But they felt like they got one-third of the total gross revenue, TW, of the force of the four horsemen cut. So if it's one-third or one-fourth, that's not a that's a decent pie, but comparing to maybe Flair getting half the pie or maybe three-quarters of the pie and J.J. Dillon getting maybe one one fourth of that pie and it's not feeling even to them you can understand tw and the horseman dynasty ends and vince mcmahon is the reason that the horseman dynasty ends because he offers tully and narn the money that uh they didn't get
What say like you? <laughs> no, absolutely. And and I I think I'll say this. It hey now my my Alexis firing up. But anyways, um I'll say this. I'm glad Siri, Arn, Siri's going crazy here at TW. <laughs> I'm glad Tully and Arn went to the WWF. I think that one year in the WWF is is why I appreciate them as much as I do overall, right? Mm-hmm. I, I loved them as horsemen, but when they were there and they got that name, the Brain Busters, I just remember thinking, you know, of all the names that people get changed and all that, they were still Tully and Arn, but they were the Brain Busters, and neither one of them really talked. Tully did a little bit, but Bobby did all the talking for them. I just think it worked. Like, they were just, they were great, and mm-hmm. and it, it was pretty much the end of the road for Tully because he got a drug bust or whatever, and that's where we end up with, Arn, uh, Barry, Sid, and Flair as the Horseman, and that's my second favorite version. And Jeez. Sid is obviously a weak link, but I'm talking aesthetically. You I know, I know. Monster. They're mm-hmm. like the Fantastic Four. You got the Thing, you got Sue Storm and Ric Flair, and then you got Mr. Fantastic and Arn and Human Torch, Johnny Storm, and Barry Windham. It's just there's there's a little bit of everything there as, as far as whatever, but I don't know that they did great things. I'm just saying aesthetically looking at them, mm-hmm. I said with the singlet, you know, all that, that was, that was a nice look. And then from there on, I hated Sting as a horseman. Um, I hated, which they were basically trying to redo the Luger deal where, as a matter of fact, when Luger was in the horseman, I want to say there was times him and JJ would do promos where he would ask JJ, when am I getting my world title shot? And they, that's one of the reasons why they turned on him was because he was, willing to fight Blair, who was the champion, and J.J. was like, it's coming, it's coming. Like, they were just holding him back, and then... No, we, we talked about that UWF episode where he felt, when Flair was chasing Ronnie Garvin, that he disrespected Luger being the U.S. champion. He took the belt from him. He was holding the belt like it was oh, his right, own. Right. So, you know, you saw those little tidbits, those but, Easter eggs right there. But that's what the thing is, is they basically, and then Luger looked at him like, why are you taking my belt? But uh, mm-hmm. when Sting was in there, it was obvious they were just letting Sting be there so he wouldn't beat them up. Like, that's, because they right. were almost, they were baby faces, but they weren't. They were really tweeners. But, you know, another thing, we talked about Ricky Morton, you know, that Rock and Roll Express gimmick couldn't last forever. Somehow they're still doing it now, but he became Richard Morton, was in the York Foundation, and Robert was gone. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's. It's almost sad because you you have these iconic groups or teams, and then at some point they just run out of gas. And, and in, in this case, I think any of those three versions, I think Ole had to go from the get-go, right? Like, he, he was fine in 85. But 86, 87, it's a flashier world. It's the 80s. It's fucking Michael Wall Street. Not, not IRS, but, like, the movie... Wall Street with Michael Douglas, oh, just everything's extravagance, and no mm-hmm. one's buying Ole Anderson snorting cocaine off a stripper. They're just not. He's someone's dad, or grandpa at this point. Um, and Arn almost just seems like the butler. Like, he's just stopping <laughs> Flair, Luger, and Tully from doing too much. Like, he's mm-hmm. out there, right? But right. I think the Luger version and the Wyndham version could have gone on forever, if, if not for politics, if not for you know, the fact that it's a business. It is. And my one regret with them is, is when he got Tully and Arn and then loses them a year later, a year later from that, he gets Flair. It's like, dude, you know, like, why couldn't uh-huh. you get them at the same time? Because all you need is Arn, Tully, and Flair, and then you have a 
WWF guy be the fourth guy. You know what I mean? It, it, it almost makes it cooler because, holy shit, a WWF guy is a full horseman. Obviously, they wouldn't have been but, able to get the name and everything. But, but, but you know that Vince would never have made the full horseman because he didn't create it. He doesn't cre- he, he doesn't I, co-sign what he doesn't create. I don't create. know if there's anybody got a better treatment from NWA than Ric Flair. I don't think I didn't say that, but I'm just saying I he never he co-signs what's right. He did them right, man. He 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 the Brainbusters to me were a success. And they mm-hmm. were part of the Heenan family, which is another faction that's pretty damn awesome, by the way. Rick Rude, Mr. Perfect, the Brainbusters. That's a different show. That's a, that's a different show, T.W. Let's stick no, with no, it. No, no, no. We talked about which ones are the top of the Mount yeah. Rushmore. I'm saying mm-hmm. the Heenan family. We didn't even throw them a bone. The Heenan yeah. family. Yeah, that's, I feel true. Like, that's true. I feel like the Heenan family was never really together. He was always just with one of these guys. It wasn't until they did like Survivor Series interviews where they all did it together. But the, um, the, the, the difference is the Four Horsemen, there's a core. Keenan family, there's no core. Heart yeah. Foundation, there's a core. NWO, we know the core. DX, there's a core. So that's that's where Keenan family doesn't get the props that it deserves. It's a, the core is Bobby Heaton. That's the core in a, in a different sense, Reflection Night. So, you know, we talked almost for two hours about this. Let's close it up saying... Let's close it up saying what the Four Horsemen meant to the professor, what the Four Horsemen meant to TW. And I'll, I'll, it'll only take me a minute, Reflection Ice, and I'll say this. The Four Horsemen meant unity. The Four Horsemen meant dominance. The Four Horsemen meant money. That's all I got to say, TW. There's nothing really left to say. So what can you say about the Four Horsemen, and then we'll close it out. The, the, the Four Horsemen was success. It was really the thing that put a team concept to wrestling where – there were, uh, I mean, we got so much. My favorite thing in wrestling right now, the Undisputed Era, wouldn't exist until something like the Four Horsemen happened first. And, yeah, something else might have came along if the Four Horsemen ever did, but it did. And mm-hmm. and so for that reason, they're, they're the godfathers, the pioneers, the and and I think the Horsemen, up until it got watered down, and, and, and I will agree, the Sid version is the other side of Fonzie jumping the shark, for sure. But... But the Flair, Luger, Ole and Arn, or Tully and Arn, and the Wyndham, Luger, I think elevated Luger and Wyndham in ways they wouldn't have been elevated otherwise. Like, absolutely, absolutely I also agree. think they elevated Sting by not being in it, because Sting mm-hmm. and Flair having that 45-minute match and then all the other stuff, and, you know, if we were going to do no, a Rivals... Let me also say... We won. No, right. Uh, let me also say this, TW, and then agree or disagree. 85 to 88, Four Horsemen organic felt, yeah. you know, yes. it, it felt real. 89 it, it till made sense. 89 till WCW closed its doors, force fed, not felt genuine, not felt organic. It just felt like it was just a placeholder. That's the way I'll say it. Something to do with four guys. Right. I think a couple different times they had five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I get the logic in adding a Benoit to it because they're saying he's like this, he's like that. But the problem is you're putting two young guys with two old guys. Like, the horsemen, the whole thing was they were cohesive. Like, Luger's not that much younger than Flair. He's not that Mm -hmm. much younger. He was the young guy. You replaced the oldest guy with the youngest guy, which is what people did in marriages for decades before Friend of the Court came around. Dudes Mm -hmm. were straight in their old wife. For the young secretary. So yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Luger, 
having his own ambitions made sense to boot him out of there. And Wyndham's like, no, 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 I'll be the team player. I'm fine with that U.S. title. And both of them went on to become world champions. So it, I think that that happening, I mean, it, the horseman gave us so much, you know. And again, mm-hmm. only leaving makes Tully and Arm an official tag team that gives me that year of WWF tag team and cements them as, to me, the greatest tag team of all time. And obviously, they teamed together here and there before that. Mm-hmm. But for, for them to be the team they are, for me, they really weren't a team long. You know, they were a group forever, but they weren't an actual team until Ole got booted out of there. They, they captured the imagination of a young TW, and Los Rudos becomes the, the, the centerpiece. Yeah, it is. And with that being said, Reflectionites, we close out on episode 11 of the pro wrestling spotlight with the four horsemen. I love this TW boardroom style. We just, you know, shoot the shit. It's the way to do it. We, we focused on 85 to 88. And if you love this stuff, Reflectionites and Big Vitoites, always go to the PWR podcast slash PWSL2 Facebook fan page. You know the Magnificent Seven is there, so always join the page. Have nostalgic fun. And, of course, you know, leave some comments. Leave some show ideas. We will do it. We listen to y'all. TW, give out those. And if you like it, tell a couple people to listen to it. (laughs) Tell some people you think might like old wrestling to listen to our take on it. Maybe they agree or disagree with our take, and they too can join the fan page and interact with us. If right. you and I are nothing else, we are damn near approachable. We, you can talk to us anytime you want. I even had to hold back on one of your little PW Hustle little jabrones, put up a post that no one even liked or commented mm-hmm. on. So I gave him my opinion, and then he started going grandma's basement on me, and I finally just told him, whatever works for you, pal. And I walked away because he was <laughs> about to get humbled, but mm-hmm. I let him go. But the bottom line is, this is fun for us, and it's even funner when we know more people enjoy it, too. And, you know, at least we don't need a thousand people listening to us, but we just want to hear from the people who do listen to it. And give us we already know, we know seven listen to us. We just want to double it to 14, triple it to 21, and quadruple it to 28. So with that, TW, give out those, uh, uh, you know, social media uh, extravaganzas, you know, and give out the website for... And- Yes, and give out right. the Big Vito stuff, too. Please, let's let that. got it. First and foremost, bigvitobrand.wixsite, that's wixsite.com. And then he has a Patreon that is patreon.com backslash thebigvitobrand. Um, and then the show, at PW Reflection on the Twitter. Um, I think Big Ray's back to Big Ray's show. <laughs> Big Ray Hernandez. Oh, Big Ray Hernandez is at Big Ray Hernandez. Uh, mine, my Twitters are at Tommy Wonder 19 and at the Tommy Wonder. My Instagram is at Tommy Wonder 19, and then I'm gonna give you JB's, which is at P1JB, and that's JB who's missing in action for going on two years now, 20 and 21. We don't know where we're gonna find them. Maybe we'll do an episode where we find them, and then hopefully, uh, and then. Uh, Travis Volts is at Nuts and Volts PW. I don't know if he's still on there. Every now and again, he tags me on something on Twitter, but he'd like to hear from me. You're very nice to give the plug to Travis Volts there. And, of course, mine is 
PWHustleProf. That's at PWHustlePROF. And of course, shout outs to my man, A Track Brown. Again, rest in heaven, chaos. Follow his Twitter at A Track Dashley. And of course, Mr. Infinite Fringe himself, Billy Ray Valentine, at OB1. You know me. And next week, TW, we're going to have to talk about an event because this is February. We're going to celebrate an anniversary when the madness turned on Hulkamania. We are going to talk about the main event from 1989. We're going to focus boardroom style on when Macho Man, right, when Macho Man Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan, the mega powers first exploded on the main event. And with that, I'm the professor. That's Mr. Wonderful, the Irish stomach one, Dum Dum Duo himself, Tommy Wonder. Dum Dum Duo and an idiot on YouTube. Like, follow, subscribe, whatever you got to do on that. Share. That's the Iron Stomach one. Tommy Wonder saying good night and see you next time. Reflectionites. (laughs) 